You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little mudsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers the king. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, today I had the good fortune of speaking with none other than Simon Flannery. Now, Flanno uh, is, is a good friend of mine and, um, you know, like uh, we go a ways back but, you know, sort of drifted, uh, you know, I went away and then uh, and, and Simon, you know, had a whole chapter of his life that happened while I was away that I actually didn't know about. Um, so it was really you know, you're always learning new things, even about people that you know. When when you do this, have these chats, it's it's fascinating, and I, and I love it. Um, but Flano is a family man. Um, he, he's definitely grown up in an era when um, things were a little bit different, and um, that'll become uh, apparent in the chat. Um, but it's an era that I relate to a lot because you know I grew up in the um, you know late seventies, eighties, and um, and hanging around wool sheds with shearers and um you know like rough dudes and uh you know and there's a real australian aspect to and i didn't see that much anymore but flano really really sums it up well and um you know he i think he grew up in in a similar environment of men that that sort of way you know um and so, you know, it was great to have Flano over and have a chat to him about what things that have shaped him. And it, it's definitely a chat um, that 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 you know we have a few laughs and there are, and there's a few moments in there that are pretty pretty serious. So, I, Flano, I really appreciate you being so open, and honest, and vulnerable um, in our chat. You know, I just think it's it's great, and I think it's more we can open up the dialogue and and, and just that we all are going through shit at one point uh, or another in our lives, and the more that we can you know, um, check in on each other and, and create that dialogue, especially, you know, cause men aren't as good at talk as I don't think as, as, as the, the girls and the women. And the, I'm too scared to say anything these days because, you know, you say anything and, um, and, and label someone like who's, who's, who's identifying and who's not identifying, but girls, the women, the females out there are good communicators. Uh, and men are getting better for sure, for sure. Um, but you know, I just think the more we can push that 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 dialogue, it's 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 great. Um, so anyway, I won't won't go on anymore. Flano, thanks so much for coming over. I really, I really had it. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have a coffee with you, mate, and have a yarn. Um, so what else? Um, yeah, got the letter in the mail. Going to court. Uh, haven't got the date yet, but I I challenged it and um, and I, I you know I've I've since I've driven to Melbourne several times. I've been through the speed radar thing. A hundred is a hundred and three. I've got Waze now the app that tells you your speed. My speedo, as I knew, was out by three k's, not nine. So that cop was lying, and I'm going to challenge it and probably lose. But Fuck it, I am. I know I was doing a hundred, and I know he was lying. So you know, win, lose, or draw, I've stood on my own feet on this one. You could easily pay two hundred bucks, couldn't you, and just let it slide. 
and uh, I'm not going to. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, I had a really funny, just going to just end on this one real quick before we go into the conversation. But the other day I was in Audi and I was like looking at these slippers, right? And I was like, oh, yeah. It's like 9 o'clock at night. There's no one around. And um, and I was like, look at those slippers. Yeah, they, they, I, could, I could rock those in my in my uh, tracky tacks at night when it's not quite cold enough for the big Uggs. Um, so, you know, they were just the little slip-on ones and so I rolled them along the bottom of my see if it was the right size. I was like, yeah, I think it is. And then I was like, oh, I better try it on. And I had socks on. That's fucking gross, right? But I stuck my foot in this slipper in the socks, looked around, made sure no one was around. And, and, and I was like, yeah, I think it's pretty good. And then I just hear behind me, I hope you're going to pay for those, mate. <laughs> I had been busted royally trying to slipper on an Audi, just like thinking no one was around watching. I was mortified. I went so embarrassed. And then I swung around and it was my mate, Walshy, and he put on his deep voice and he was having, he was pissing himself. Um, he had busted me. Yeah, pretty funny moment. Thanks, Walshy. Uh, I hadn't been... So embarrassed or busted like that for a while. Um, So anyway, I bought the slippers. Don't worry. They're not in the bin with my stinky sock feet. Good imagery, hey? Good imagery. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Simon Flano. Um, Flano, thanks once again, and I will see you on the other side. Okay. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total parforama. Yeah, and one of my best mates, I remember uh, one of my good mates, he uh, came up to me, it must have been early, early, because I remember it was hot, we're in short sleeves, t- sh- um, short sleeves shirts, so it was a summer uniform, and I remember uh, he brought up a pair of scissors, and back then, 70s, so you're rocking some pretty heavy bowl cuts and stuff like that, and he had this manicured bowl cut, and he, he asked me to cut his fringe, and I said, I'm not cutting your fringe, he goes, yeah, yeah, cut me fringe, I promise I won't dob on you, and I'm like, no, you're going to dob on me, and he goes, no, no, I promise I won't dob on you, so he had the scissors, and he's forcing them into my hand, going, go and cut my fringe, cut my fringe, and he held it right up high, and anyway, I go, all right, I'll cut it, so I just went snip, cut it, and he goes, I'm dobbing on you, and just took off. Oh, my God. <laughs> <dobbed> on me. <laughs> So fucking right. Yeah, but that's uh, what was that? That would have been like seventy seven or seventy eight or something. I'm still good mates with him now. Still, that's, still talk once a month or something. Once every couple of weeks. Isn't it funny? Like hair. I don't know if you listened to the ABC yesterday, but I was telling my old man how in fury I never listened to fucking radio, and I thought, no, I'd just have a little listen on my way to Melbourne <laughs> just to see what's going on on talkback. And they, the point of contention and talkback at between ten and eleven was Justin Bieber's hair. Uh, right. Yep. This is what we're talking about on national fucking radio. Yeah. And it gets, I don't know, however long in the talkback. So, and I'll tell you why. Justin Bieber has at the moment dreadlocks. Whoop de fucking do. Yep. And, but some people are finding this culturally insensitive. Dreadlocks. <sighs> Because how dare this guy have dreadlocks when it's not part of his culture? Ah, settle down. Mm. Settle down. That's so how anyway, I wanted to fucking turn the radio off because uh-huh. I could feel the, uh, the 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 heat coming on, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, no, no, stay with it. This is obviously relevant to society at the moment. Yeah. If you can't handle it, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I left it on, and then this Rastafarian rings up. Oh yeah, yeah. And he says. 
yeah, well, man, you know, I'm not going to do his accent. <laughs> he says, he says, you'll have a little stab. Oh, yeah, man, uh, Jamaican man. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, it's spiritually traditional dreadlocks is a real spiritual thing for Jamaican men. And it wasn't a thing for ladies. It was culturally, it was men only oh, originally. Yeah. And you should have heard the fucking silence in the panel when he said that because how dare dreadlocks just be to, you know, Rastafarian men. You know, so really? they all went. I noticed there was like a fucking silence in the room. Yeah. <laughs> He's really throwing a spare in the works this week. And so yeah. and I was like, yeah, go, this is good. Okay, for, okay, now I can listen a bit more. Intently. How'd they dance around that one? Well, they, um, and then they said, well, how do you feel about Justin Bieber doing it? And he goes, oh, man, I don't give, he goes, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Anyone can have dreadlocks, yeah. but if you want to go back into the originality of it, this is what it was. And yeah. he goes, girls can identify with it today. Yeah. Guys can, white guys can, anyone can have dreadlocks. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah. And I was just like, amen to you. And then, But then they drew it back to, I won't go there because I get hot again. But uh, yeah. How dare Anyway, hair, going back to yours, is a thing because... Even at school, I got a haircut that nearly got me suspended that my mates did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's – well, Dibba, I, like back then, I remember I had the the biggest helmet and all I wanted was a crew cut. And my mum's like, no, no, but you're beautiful locks and, you know, you've got to leave them long and it looks nice. i got photos of me now. I swear I was just missing the strap. The thing was that buffed out and thick. Like you'd sweat like anything. You'd take two steps and so you had, you had a, a fro. Of sweat. Oh, no, it wasn't a fro. It was just – Big. Thick. Thick, just, you know. Yeah, it was just thick. And I remember, like, all I wanted was it all cut up. And it was, like, down to my shoulders, but it was just like this, you know, the top went all the way down to my shoulders, just this gaping hole. My mum used to just chop it with the scissors. Oh, that fringe is getting in your eyes. I'll give that a little cut. You know, I wanted a bit more than that. So, But anyway, but, yeah, so he would have gone under his mum with a nice divot missing out of the front of his fringe. So... Oh, Jace. So, like, this one, like a helmet. Oh, yeah, full, like, yeah, 70s helmet, like, rocking it as a kid. Your mum just cut your fringe and that was it. It just got thicker and bigger. So it was pretty – but, yeah, they're my early memories. And then I I think another vivid one is – and I think this probably highlighted my learning capacity was also um, very much – I remember – my mum doing some stuff with me when I was younger, trying to get me to spell and that. I must have been in prep or something. Anyway, I was shit ass at it and she gave up after a couple of weeks. And then I remember being in, uh, must have been grade one and they asked me to smell, spell cat. But they, they were, it was almost like an experiment on me to see if I could spell cat. And I can remember the word cat because I remember it was that, you know, when you hear, think about it, it's, you know, that easy. But for me at the time, they, they put a thing and said, spell cat. And I said, C-A-T. And then they go took it away and then said, now write cat. And then I'm like, I know how to write it. So then they go, what do you mean you don't know how to write it? I said, and then they left it there and they said, now write it. So I, I wrote cat. Then they took it away and then they said, right, write cat. And I couldn't write it. And then they're like, spell cat and I couldn't spell it. And then they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So anyway, and I remember the disappointment because I don't know whether they thought I was just taking the piss out of my wife. But anyway, they made me sit there all through lunchtime and my pie went cold and I was shattered because I didn't get to go out and eat me pie. Because it was lunch order day. feeling <laughs> in your guts when you're getting held back. Yeah. Lunch order especially. Yeah. So I was, I was mortified, mortified by the fucking pie. But um, they came back in after lunch and they virtually were like, we don't know what to fucking do with you. But, you know, I, I, I think what 
what's since has happened is my oldest boy, he had a, a thing which was his ambidextrous, which is left and right. So we all think of that as being pretty good because you can do anything left and right-handed, but the reality is you don't develop left and right as a child. So things like reading, writing, punctuation, all that stuff just doesn't even enter your realm. So, you know, early days I remember like surfing, I had two forehands and it wasn't until my mate pointed out and said, you got two forehands, you need a backhand. Stop doing that. <laughs> Fuck, should have just kept two forehands. Oh, mate, it would have been great. <laughs> I love backhand surfing now, though, but, you know, I remember that. So, like, looking back over time, I think, yeah, that sort of makes sense. So you find a comf- comfortableness with when you do things with the left and right. So, but that, you know, that, you know, and obviously now they realise those those early formative years are pretty important. So, you know, I realised, uh, you know, by grade five, grade six, I was a shit ass at school. But do know. you think, do you think it was dyslexia or something? Uh, I don't know. I've never really been tested, never had anything, you know. So, yeah, I never really... I haven't either, but it's in my family and I've since found that out. And I was... I got the worst mark of my school. Yeah. I thought I was a... Yeah. Dumb. Yep. Uh, that's what I was labelled. I was going to swear then. Yeah. <laughs> I've been swearing the whole time. Is that what you're No, no, you let us swear, but I was going to, you know, drop in dumb cunt, but it's not. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what. That's so, might have been a bit brash. Yeah. But that's how I was painted. Yeah, that's and it. And how I thought about myself. Yeah, yep, that's it. But I think I think the beauty of it is, you know, and that's how I went through. So it really, I guess it did knock me around because you want to you want to you want to be like everyone else, really. But when you when you're the dumbass, you're the dumbass, you know. But I think the beauty well, of you it you learn is, to roll with the jokes of it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. Yeah, yeah. You do get a thick skin. But I think what it does, it highlights you in other areas of your life. So, you know, naturally, so when we were doing question time and things like that at school, I would listen intently and I could remember word for word what people said and it just highlighted other areas because you had to get your information different ways. So, and I still look at that today, that's sort of been a bit of a godsend for me, you know, because I do have a really good recount of hearing stuff and and stuff like that. So I just look at it, yeah. So that was it. So that was me primary school. And I remember doing a test, I think, in grade five or grade six. I can't remember. And I asked the teacher... I think it was follow, but I called it something else. I don't know. And she, she went off at me like, "How do you not know that word?" And I remember it just was like this sinking feeling of I am dumb. So it really broke me. I remember sitting there, and you know, I thought I was a big tough guy and that, but I was in tears, cried my eyes out. So it sort of cemented, I guess, my ideology that I wasn't hundred percent convinced that I was a bit, you know, not right. But after that, that just cemented it in me that I was, um, yeah, I was going to struggle through school. So that's that started. Yeah, I went into high school and yeah, a little bit deflated and a little bit. But defl- I bet you were good at sport. Ah. Uh, I wouldn't say I was anything out, outrageous, you know. I played in the footy teams and all that. I was, you know, as I, as I grew old, I just become, you know, I was, I guess I, I go back further as I come from a family where, um, and I've told you this story, you know, my grandfather was on the Burma Railway and ended up in Japan in a coal mine, you know, and they've just, Angela Jolly made that film, but that was my grandfather and he ended up in Nagasaki and, and he, um, he, uh, was burying his mate on the hill when the atom bomb went off. So he watched the atom bomb dropped on Nakasaki and it blew him up, you know, it blew him up a 45 degree hill, he reckons 30 feet. So as a shockwave came across the bay. So, you know. Do they get radiation from that? Poisoning of some description? I don't, I don't know. Like he died 73 or 74, he was, and he died from Gillian Barr, which is um, your, your nerve endings break down, the coating around your nerve endings. So he got Gillian Barr and then he got blood clots and then it went to his brain and killed him. So he. Um, yeah, he wasn't... Uh, blood, but he, blood clots of the brain, in the brain. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, yeah. They were worried about blood clots and then it might have gone to his 
heart or his brain. I can't remember. But I went to one he of them. Did get the early COVID vaccine? No, no. <laughs> well, I just come from the old man. He's in hospital now. He just got his COVID vaccine. He's seventy four. And they reckon he might have had a stroke. So I'm wondering whether there's a bit of a link there. But Which one did he get out of curiosity? Uh, the, the shit one, the AstraZeneca. <laughs> yeah. I'm not laughing at that. No, no, I know. No. It's pretty quick how they're taking this shit out of the media because the other day I looked at the ABC, two guys dead from just after the vaccine. Yeah. Not saying that's going to happen to your dad. No, no, yeah. Well, well, but the, it was gone the next day from the media. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. So anyway, going back to your grandfather because this shit's fucking interesting. Yeah, I, I yeah. He was, he was, and he was an amazing individual. So I was very lucky. So I guess he grew up in a, in a prison war camp and things like that. So the tradition through my family is about, you know, and it's always been about loyalty and never give up and those sort of things. So one of the big things that was sort of the motto as I was growing up from a young age and all that was, um, yeah, and no, I never lay down and die. And, you know, you just got to stick things out and be tough and, you know, and, and, and it came through. I saw the effects probably, um, and this is probably, you know, most people that go to war, you see the, the next generation down, the impact that has on them. So I saw the impact it had on my father, from his father to him. So how he raised my dad. So he, he raised him tough, robust. You know, he's a real, um, yeah, just a real f- like fucking tough. Warrior. Know? Yeah. and But also really generous and really you know, generous, but they just had this tough exterior. They were just like fucking tough. Yeah, and, and man of principle. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, man of principle. And I think that was it. And I think, you know, because there was things like, you know, there was all this, like if you look like getting biffed, get him first, you know. Fuck, it's easier to say sorry than it is to be lying in a pool of blood, you know. So just things like that just were really ingrained in my psyche from a young age, you know. So, you know, and I used to go around and listen to my grandfather and he'd tell me some. So he was in, sorry, I know this little bit, but I love it. He was in Collingwood. I uh, grew up, yeah. He grew up in. He, they had a barber shop in Fitzroy, so yeah, he grew up in Fitzroy and around Fitzroy and Carlton and that, and married his his wife, me, me nana, who was from Collingwood, yeah. So, and that's how it was. It was very territorial back then and everything like that. But and, yeah, and it was like a bit of a, a stable horse that that barber shop, right? It was like a. a, a an institution of sorts. It was, yeah, yeah. A lot of people used to go there and that. And they were like my my grandfather and my great grandfather were boxers, so they were, you know, my grandfather was a pro boxer. He went to war in his prime, you know, he should have been and they fought for John Wren, who owned the stadium. If you go back, like he he was heavily involved at the startup of Collingwood Footy Club and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I've got a brooch at home for John Wren saying to my grandfather, Thanks for fighting for me, you know. And and, you know, my great-grandfather, Squizzy Taylor, tried to shoot him because he told him to go down in a fight and he said, fuck that, and knocked the bloke out in the first round. And He didn't you know, take the bribe. No, he didn't take the bribe. So they're a man of principle. Like, they were very highly principle-driven. So, and, and, and he tried to shoot him. Yeah, he was walking up Dudley Street and they came out from Festival Hall, which was the stadium back then, and he was walking up and he came passing a guard with a few blokes and they tried to shoot him, took a few shots at him as he took off down the road. So, yeah. So they'll, you know, so you grow up with that sort of in your corner that you've got to have, you know, to get anywhere we're doing, and you've got to, you know, morals and principles and you know that you live by. And, and I guess my grandfather installed what friendship really means because you know I used to go and listen to him, and it was very heavy about um, what happened um, in the prison camp and just how the Australians and how they stood by each other, stuck by each other, and just some of the heroic acts that were done by some men, selfless acts, you know. So and I've watched it with my father, you know, like he he's had fallouts with some of his friends, but the value he puts on friendship is very very high. And 
I guess, you know, as society rolls down, you know, and you look at it now that what we value friendship as now has been reduced. Whereas, you know, I remember my grandfather saying to me, you know, so I saw the best of humanity and the worst of humanity in the same place, you know. And it was, yeah, and, and he, he, was, he was a pretty, you know, and like I said, so he, he was a pro boxer before he left and he was tough and he didn't take a backward step and, and, um, and he came back and he was very much still the same, you know, and probably tougher and everything like that, but very gentle, like he hated oppression, so he hated people standing over other people. So that became indoctrinated. You know, you see someone weaker than you, less than you, you always, you always go in, you defend, you be tough, you be strong, you do what you have to do type thing. So, yeah, so that was that was good. And, you know, when I played footy and that, it probably put me in a pretty good thing. I, I was very lucky to captain a lot of my sides and, and lead like that, just lead from the front, be tough, be uncompromising, you know. cost me dearly, you know, it's cost me dearly a long time. In what sense? Uh, I got sued. I, I, From yeah, football? Yeah, got a two-year suspension and, yeah, I got sued and that was the end of my footy career. And so. was, it, was, that, was it valid in your eyes or no? No, it wasn't. No, it was, it was, you know. Do you want to talk about what happened? Oh, yeah, I don't mind. Yeah, I, I was playing, I, I you know, because I was at the club and I had my first baby at 21, so I was sort of, um, I was trying to build a business. I was trying to do stuff. But the club kept coming back to me and saying, Simon, come in and play. And I was a bit, you know, a bit silly for, um, you know, I'd never do a pre-season or anything like that. I would have, you know, a month before I'd go down and start pants on the pavement and all that. But, I, you know, they were always seniors. And, and, I, and I think I played the first senior game and I might have been 16 or 17 or something. So, but uh, they asked me to come down. And I, by this stage, I had my first baby. I must have been... 22 or 23 maybe and anyway I um I went down there my marriage you know I'd been married at 21 you know old Catholic stuff you know you got to get married and all that sort of stuff um and I yeah marriage was shit ass and you have fallen in the line though doing what you perceivably thought you was meant to do and it's a, yeah very much yeah. and and you know hand on heart and it probably doesn't sound very nice but I don't think I ever really loved my first wife. I don't think I truly loved her or anything like that. It was just um, an un- a set of circumstances that happened and, you know, you, once again, you take your medicine and you do what you have to do and suck it up and that's it. So um, so my marriage wasn't travelling too well. I went to footy. They'd asked me, they just said, look, play in the Magoos, play two or three games in the Magoo. We'll run you in the mid, just run and just, you know, get some miles in your legs and we'll then slot you straight into the seniors. So I went down there. A uh, guy came through, you know, Shirt front of me, wasn't too impressed with it. So I gave him a little tap in the head and broke his jaw in about a million pieces and, yeah, and that was it. And the- This is after his shirt fronted you, you just fronted him or did you do it behind play when he well- – No, nah, I was in the motion of play, went over the boundary line, so I just gave him a, yeah, gave him a crack in the head and <laughs> didn't go down too well. And uh, unfortunately, you know, yeah, I um, caused a lot of, lot of damage to him. But um, – you know, I fronted up the tribune on the club. In a way, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the club. The club liked me. They Half the club loved me and the other half despised me, you know, because I was a, a fairly loose unit at the best of times, you know. So, um, but I always defended, you know, I, I bled for the club. I bled for the Guernsey. I, mm. you know, I took it very seriously. I viewed it as, you know, going to war and you're in my group and who cares we win at all costs we do whatever we have to do to get the get the job done you know so um and unfortunately broke this bloke's jaw times were changing in football um they sued me they sent me they sent me a civil letter saying you know well they 
said, if you don't come and sit down and we have a chat about it, we're going to press for criminal charges and all that. So uh, I went to tribunal, got two years suspension, and then, um, yeah, I had to pay him out. I think it was... Was this mid-90s? Uh, yeah, so early 90s, I think. Because one other guy Because you're coming right off the back end of a very violent streak in football. Yeah, well, that's it. And that's when the, the times were changing. So the medium density house price in Victoria was probably 170000 So I had to write a cheque for this guy for, I think... 35 grand and all up it cost me nearly 46 or 47 thousand dollars so and i was lucky i was lucky at the time which sort of takes me back to after school you know shit ass at school and everything like that so it made me um i discovered carpentry because the only thing i'd really been good at you know up until probably 17 16 i got my job as an apprentice carpenter till that stage and even after you know probably till 21 was just playing footy and Punch and crew up. That was about the only thing I, I think that really. Did you love the pub on a Friday night? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I fucking did. Oh, uh, yeah, I loved it. Like I terrorised the joint. Yeah, <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was. Yeah, always, always there, always running a muck, creating trouble. You know. At that time, though, who wasn't? No, oh, well, well, maybe it. a lot of people, but yeah, you know. Yeah, that's it. But yeah, well, that's it. And and I think the other thing too, like I was always always in dust-ups and I suppose I always justified them to myself but I guess in a, in a strange sort of way it made me feel uh, comfortable uh, not not comfortable but it, when you when you got a low self-esteem it actually made my it gave me enough oomph for the week to make me f- feel something inside of me so I felt like I was worth it or I was worthy or whatever so which was um, you know which was a shame really it is know. a shame but honestly that was a thing oh yeah definitely to be known as a, a, a tough dude yeah, well, it's yeah. not like today. It was a mantle then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. And you didn't know, you know, you know, violence is wrong, but at the same time, to be known as a a, a tough dude, I was going to swear again. Yeah, and you can just <laughs> plug it in for yourself. <laughs> um, was a, a thing, and like I wasn't the toughest guy at all. I was constantly getting beat up, but I wanted to be a tough guy. Yeah, you know? it's and and I guess. The reflection is I didn't think of myself as tough. I never really thought of myself as tough or anything. I just looked at it as that's how that's what you do, you mm. know. I didn't look at it as that or anything like that, you know. But, you know, I guess from that era, you know, I created a reputation for myself back from where I come from was, yeah, you, you know, like when you're flogging the bouncers and doing stuff like that, yeah, you don't sort of um, you don't realise, I guess, the reputation you're building for yourself when you're doing it. And it, and it probably, you know, it wasn't good, you know. It was, yeah. Um, yeah. I look back on it now, and I, but I think what it did was it built, um, because, you know, one of the things I remember is, you know, when you're in a situation where you you got to fight a few blokes and you're one out, or you're got to fight someone who's bigger and meaner than you, there is this moment in time where it it, it clicks in you, and you either go. What do I do? And and you naturally have that fight, flight, or run, um, freeze. And I remember, like sometimes I'd be like, oh, "This could go either way," and it's not looking good. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. So you just back yourself in, and you just go like the fucking powers of piss, you know. And and you do what you have to do. But the fear, I think, the fear drives you more than anything. But it's that I, I think after a while it became that fear of the unknown. So it became like an adrenaline hit, or it became a rush, and and that's where you started to get your self worth from. And 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 you know, and it was interesting because from that, you know, rolled into, you know, I was, you know. 
getting a lot of strife and doing that sort of stuff. But I think it rolled into um, I discovered carpentry and I realised that I wasn't too bad at it, you know, and and I picked it up quite quickly and easy. And then um, my boss was always about doing spec homes and you got to do this, you got to do that. So at 21, you know, I had to – my grandfather left me, I think, 20 grand or something like that. So I took that and I, I bought a block of dirt and I said, I'm going to build myself a house. So at 21, I built my first house and did it as a spec home. And I sort of, after that, viewed it that, um, and it was a golden era, I suppose, in Australia, property prices, because, you know, the prices were going up like each, each year, you just, you don't have to sit on the land, you'd pick up 150 grand. So, um, but what it did was it, it taught me that why, and I, and I remember thinking this way was why am I fighting in the street and pitting myself against losers and dead shits and, you know, and, and that's me included when I can borrow this money, pit myself against the banks in the market and believe I'm better than it and I can think better than it, go out the powers of piss for three to four months, build this house, live in it for a couple of months and then put it on the market and sell it and make heaps of money. Like it was it was ridiculous. So, you know, I, and it sort of changed my philosophy in a lot of ways. And and at 23... And you came to that conclusion on your own? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I just thought about it. I, I liked like back then. No mentors? No, no, I just reviewed myself all the time. I was constantly reviewing myself and just thinking about things. And I got to 23. See, I'd done, I think I'd done a couple of speckies by then. I got to 23 and got a real bad case of depression. And I didn't know what was wrong with me, you know. So you, you, you start to, you know, I couldn't understand what was wrong with me. And, and I was at the bottom of a hill when, you know, I couldn't understand. I'd always been at the top of the hill. Why am I at the bottom of the hill? So I was just really... You mean just mentally? Mentally, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I was going to work and breaking down in tears. I couldn't do pressure. I'd, you know, I'd have to stop at 12 o'clock and have a sleep. I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And then I remember washing the cars and Triple J was on and that's back when Triple J was a good station, you know, and, and I listened to it and, and they said, oh, if you're suffering any of these symptoms, you know, and they spoke about depression and all that stuff and I'm like... They rattled off 10 and I think I had nine. I'm like, my God, that's what I've got, depression. So I booked myself in a GP, just went and saw him and said, mate, I think I've got depression. So, and that started the next phase of my life really. So then I went off to a um, a really good psychiatrist who I sat with for 12 months and I had to unravel my childhood and I had to unravel a lot of stuff, you know, because my mum and dad, you know, my mother was a school teacher, but she was, um, I guess, a making at that time. She was a very, how could you say, very forward thinking lady. She was incredible. She was incredibly strong and all that, but she just couldn't show love. So, you know, you, you, you can't figure it out. You know, you're sort of like, you don't have this, you, you struggle. So I've got this father who's teaching me to be tough and everything like that. And then I'm struggling to show, um, how could you say, show my emotions or show anything like that. And you're not taught how to be empathetic towards people and things like that. So what do you call it? Stiff upper lip? Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. Fucking keep going. Yeah, just keep pushing. Mm. So, and that's it, I suppose, I, I thought I did. So that was sort of like the first phase of me reinventing myself. But um, So when you, um, yeah, so it wasn't any one aspect. Do you think it was brought on by like, you know, all the fucking piss and fighting and everything? It was a combination of, you know, maybe from very young of not nurture versus nature and... You... Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I don't really know. I can't really answer so it. It wasn't a pinpoint that... 
You, you got no, to... I, th- I think it was a combination of a lot of things. Yeah. You know, I think it was my upbringing, how I saw myself. You know, my schooling, my everything. I think it was just a combination of a lot of things, and and I just really did hate myself. You know, it was crazy. And so, is this still early twenties? Uh, 23 I was, yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking about this this morning and weirdly saying that I think that zone, right, you're starting to think about mortality as well. You know, when you're a kid, you don't think about death yep. as much. You get into the 20s and you start looking at the world and money and what am I doing Yep. and I'm going to die. Yep. Oh, I'm going to fucking die. Yep. And that's a frightening thought. Like you, I wrestle for me. I wrestle with that thought of mortality and what does it mean to go into the ground? Yep. And not be here anymore. Yep. And neither will fucking anyone. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. <laughs> you know. Well, that's... and then the young mind processing that alone. Yeah. Goes pretty dark. Yeah, and I, and I guess yeah, that's true. There, there is like you know I think about that now you know and there's you now it's just what 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 and I guess. Now I just I, I'm very big on living in the present, so accepting where you're at and what you're doing. So it's like you know, but yeah, at 23, so I did. Was she a good therapist that you saw? It was a he, and he was really good. So I sat with him for 12 months. So I did 12 months every two weeks, and then after six months, I think we went to once a month, and it was probably the best thing I ever did because it gave me a great insight into myself and why I thought the way I did. But out of it came they believed I had bipolar. So, and in a way, I sort of knew, like you know, I never took drugs, so yeah. I never took, I never sm- smoked dope or took pills or anything like that I was just but I was always a million miles an hour like always a million miles an hour and I couldn't figure out when I was at the bottom of that hill why you know and um so out of that came they believed I had bipolar and and I think you know I honestly believed I was eight foot tall and bulletproof like even when I was you know having a punch up and think like I just knew no one was ever going to defeat me I would just be like I don't care I'll do whatever I have to do I'll make sure I come out on top so um, so from there they diagnosed me with bipolar, which, you know, I, I went and learned about bipolar and they explained a bit to me and everything like that. But they wanted they, they put me on lithium, which, I you know, I look back now and I think, what the fuck was I thinking? But anyway, they put me on lithium for, I well, think... You about, don't know what you're thinking. It's hot powers to be giving you something to say that this will fix and you're just like, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. So I went on that for three to six months, somewhere around there, somewhere in between there. And I remember like... It's just, yeah. Had, had Nirvana released that song or the album? Was it the song oh, or the I album? I don't know. I don't know. It might have. Because it's Lithium. I think it's the album. Yeah. yeah well, the song Lithium. I can't remember. But, yeah, anyway, they um, they gave me that shit. And I remember I lost all my creativity. I lost everything. So I just I went insane him one day and I just said, that's it. I'm not taking it anymore. And he said, I highly advise you don't get off and all that. I said, oh, fuck it. I'm doing it. So, um, and that said about, you know, lifestyle changes. So I realized that I couldn't drink the way I was. I realized I had to get, um, sleeping patterns in order. You know, I just had to do all these other things, which I did, uh, change my diet, just all those things and, and make sure I stayed healthy and active and exercising and all that. So, which was the best thing I ever did. And, and because I had an acute awareness of probably what I'd been diagnosed with, it always made me have like that second thought in my head, like, are you doing this because you're high or bipolar or or you're doing this because you're in a good place or you're doing it for the right reasons. And, you know, so you just had this this check checklist you went through sometimes until you figured it out. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting time. So then, you know. Have those highs and lows subsided for oh, you? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Now they have. As I get older, they have, yeah, definitely. 
Because that's what it is, right? Bipolar is like high highs and then low lows. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. And and I remember one time, like it must have been in my mid twenties. Is that sorry? Am I right or wrong in that? No, I'm you're not, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You do. You have high highs, but you, there's sort of varying degrees of what you have in bipolar. But they, you know, he's telling me, he goes, you know, do, are you delusional? Do you think you're God and things like that? And I remember, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what do you think you're talking to? Mate, I remember. <laughs> I tell a funny story. I remember, like, over apprentice. So I would have been. I reckon I must have been 25 or something. Anyway, and what would happen is, I remember one time I went in a high because he goes, if you ever get on a real high high, so I'm, you got to come in and see me. So we'll give you some shit to slow you down. And I remember like what it is is your thought process becomes so fast that it gets scrambled you know and I remember like I must have been right on the cusp so I'm like <laughs> and I was doing this job at this in Mordialic and it was this big old barn for um for Epson Racecourse where they used to keep horses and they used to train down there anyway it was being converted into a house and I'm like yeah I can do that but that they had this like it was imposing it was only like five meters from the street you know, school over the road, you know, everything like that. And anyway, I said to me, apprentice, I go, what's this? So I climbed up onto the roof of it and just sat on the very top of it as all the kids and parents are going to school and acted like a rooster. <laughs> 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 but the story gets better because then I hop down and then we're doing the job and then WorkSafe turn up and go, we've got reports of a bloke being up on the roof acting like a rooster because <laughs> the next door neighbor had lagged us and the copper comes out his house we're working on. He's like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? Because you must be on the road. I said, no, man, I haven't been up there. <laughs> anyway, so they had to talk, talk him out. He's going, yeah, someone was up there acting like a rooster. <laughs> anyway, so, but that was it. My apprentice thought, I, he, he thought it was funny. I thought it was funny yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, But, um, yeah, but that was one of those times I got down. I bet the school kids thought it was funny too. Oh, they would have thought it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> He's a tradie up on a roof acting like a rooster. Right out on the point, like right up on the top. Like having a, a Titanic oh, full, moment yeah, out cock the front. Yeah, cock-a-doodle-roos. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then work safe turn up so that was a bit uh, yeah, but anyway but yeah so that was you know so I was always aware of it and everything like that but the self-worth thing probably didn't really you know it's, it came and it went so I was you know, lucky enough to be doing these homes and uh, making good money out of them but it seemed like every time I finished one you know I liked it too and I told you the other day it's like setting up dominoes and you and you knock the dominoes down it's you know six months or eight months of hard work and then you knock it down and then at the end there's this big pool of money and then you look at your bank account and you go holy fuck I'm, I'm the bee's knees but that happiness would only last for a day or two and then I'd go back to feeling like worthless again. So, you know, that was a, a journey of trying to figure out why I felt that way, you know, and what it was. And even though I'd done the work on myself at 23, I still had these demons, I still had these things. So, you know, that sent me on a journey then of just a bit more understanding why and and accepting my flaws, accepting who I am, my faults, my, my um, you know. And I, and I had a saying, I always had a saying which was, only a fool would not acknowledge his flaws and deficiencies and work on them. So, you know, we're all very good at doing what we do really well and sticking to that and going, yeah, fucking, you know, I'm shit at that, but it gives a fuck. I'll just get somebody to do that, whatever. But the reality is you always got to try and improve what you shit ass at and get it up to a reasonable level that you're happy with, you know. Yeah, well, there's a little saying that's coming to mind that um, it's not my saying, but it's a saying. You can't stay clean on yesterday's shower. Well, that's a good point, yeah. That's it. Yep. So, you know, you gotta keep 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 moving, keep growing, keep looking. Keep evolving, yeah. Yeah. Which is Because you yeah. can do some work, right? And yep. you come through it. 
and then you know, like I'm I'm really lazy inherently. <laughs> you know? So I could be like, eh, fuck, sure? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good now. Yeah, you know, yeah. but like, fuck, patterns sneak back in and yeah, they do. you just got to keep on top of shit, right? Well, and if it. you start getting, for me, you know, if I'm like getting upset or I'm going to bed with something, you got to, you know, there's obviously shit there that's permeating and you got to yep. work out, get down to the root of what it yep. is. Yep. Why can't I sit with myself at the moment? Yep. You know, like, you know, you fucking knee jerk is to have some noise going because something else is distracting. What, what is that? What yeah. is what's why can't I sit still right now? Yeah. And I think a lot of people look at that through gossip. They do you know, it's easy to look at everyone else's shit and take pleasure in someone else failing or someone else fucking up or someone else doing something than to really, like you say, sit at home, review yourself and go, you know, well, why am I feeling like shit? You know, I think in the modern era it's about, you know, covering yourself up and saying, Oh, look at over there, look over there, look over there, and then really addressing your own stuff. I think a lot of people do, but I think you know, there's a lot of people that don't, you know, and take pleasure out of other people's issues or problems or because it's easier to look over there than it is to address your own, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, who the fuck really wants to, you know, <laughs> it's, it's work, right? And I think that's why. Yeah. It's like. It's confronting. It's challenging. A, the old man said this to me a while ago. What did he say? Denial. It's a big river to cross. True, yeah, yeah. You know, That's, and so if you're not like, yeah, and some, you know, it's easier to live in that. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think, yeah, and I'm thinking unless you're in pain. Yep, it's hard to want to change. Yeah, well, that's it. Or it's, uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's it. It is because it's comfort and just living in the patterns that you know. Well, that's it. And, and, and it's not until we sit down and, you know, and this is, you know, part of the things I know now is, you know, you look at this, the patterns of life, you know, you look at, especially young people probably don't look at it too much. And when I mean young, I mean people in their twenties and that, that, you know, you follow these patterns and I call it the left-hand turn theory. You just keep doing left-hand turns until you get back to the same spot. And whether it's 12 months, 18 months, two years, that same emotional state. So, you know, but to do a right-hand turn is to actually push your comfort zone Test yourself, see where you're going, see what you do. But the more you do those right-hand turns, the the better you become of them. So, you know, it's about, you know, the younger you start, the better you become of them. So you push your boundaries, you challenge yourself, you look at things differently. And, and I think a big thing is listening to other people and their, their stories and their theories and their ideologies on life and reading and, you know. And I, and I look at it like, you know, one of the big things is, I, um, from a young age, I've tried to say, okay, I'll listen to people, I'll take something from them. So every day I try to take something from someone or every week I try to take something that I keep as my repertoire. So it might be a story on how they overcome difficulty or it might be an ideology on how they approach work or whatever. And, I, and if I think it's really good and relevant, I'll keep it and I'll keep it with my repertoire. So then as I go through life and I get these challenges, I can go, oh, yeah, remember I heard that thing, and then I'll take it out. So you try to take something positive from someone or something everywhere you go. So that's been my ideology from, you know, early 20s, is, and, and that was part of that change that I try to do. I go, I've got to listen to other people and take on their stories and hear what they're doing and, and get better at life. Yeah, yeah, there's power in sharing and talking. Definitely. Yep. I feel blessed that I'm a bit of a talker as well. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I've been to some, in some pickles and some dark places too and I feel like – but I don't ever really internalise it too much. I'll be yep. like <laughs> – Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's it, yeah. You sort of figure it out yourself. Yeah. And 
and that's that honesty with yourself and I think honesty with other people. You know, there's a lot to be said in that is, you know, you like you said, that's that denial. You can dress it up and point the finger outward and say, oh, that, that was because of that or that was because of that. But ultimately, you know, each man and woman is a creator of their own destiny. So you, you your decisions you're making now are impacting you today, tomorrow, to everywhere. So if you can hear different ways to make those decisions or uh, approach life and do things differently, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing, you know. I fucking concur. Now, tell me, so going from being the rooster on the on the roof yep. and going through that phase of your life of building yep. and, and getting to the end and having a pocket full of money yep. to when I met you, which was when you bought the- Oh, the pub. Chuck pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, what's, what's the frame like in between there and there? Uh, I think what had happened, like there was- I guess one of the things that's sort of dogged me heavily in life has been, um, you know, I look at it as being uh, suicide. So when I look back, there, there's always been that threat of suicide, not me, but like in my life, there's always been that thread there of something happens. And, you know, my marriage wasn't traveling too well at the time. And there was an incident that happened that I won't go into, but um, it, it led us in a direction to come down here and change life. And, and I guess all I ever really wanted to do was surf. You know, that's I, I grew up surfing the island. I was lucky enough to the parents had a house down there. I spent a lot of time down there, you know, with the family and, you know, just surfing on my own and doing whatever else. So, you know, and, and if these challenges in life, I, I, you know, in my early marriage or in my marriage, we've been married for, what's that? I've been married for nine or ten years. And so I just said, look, if we're to make a go of this and make it work, I think I need to have an outlet, which is surfing, which is close by. So I wanted to go to the island and and my ex-wife chose to go to come down here. So I said, oh, that's a fair compromise. I'll come down here. So I came down here, built a house in Juck. Um, The marriage was always on Rocky Road. So I came down here. I sold a, a beautiful house down on the beach in Edifar, right on the right on the sand. It was, you know, it was... 28, 29, done pretty well for myself in that short period of time. And, um, but it just felt I needed to change. Something had to give and something had to, you know, um, give, give in a way. And, you know, it's, yeah, we ended up down here. And I think it was pressures of life and family and everything like that. I just needed to, you know, get out. So we, we moved down here, built a house in Jack, and I always probably wanted to own a pub. And once again, it was like looking at it, you know, I'm early 30s, just the new test, you know, change course of life. I finished my house. Okay, let's go do it. So I looked at the Jack pub. I looked at a few pubs, but I looked at the Jack pub and thought, well, it's around the corner. I can go and eat dinner with the kids and all that. But uh, it turned into a fucking whirlwind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was good. Like it was, it was different, you know. But uh, I had a partner that, you know, who didn't do the right thing at the very start. One partner, there was three of us in it. He didn't do the right thing at the start and, and you know, he was showing the door pretty quick but he did cause a lot of financial hardship. So then we moved into just trying to, yeah, basically ramp it up and make it a real local pub. So it was we looked after locals, we looked after everything there. But um, as has been well documented, unfortunately, a young person that was at the pub died after leaving the pub, which was, you know, just tragic and tragic for him and his family and all that sort of stuff, which then I guess started a chain reaction that flowed down the line. In far, as far as, you know, uh, we had the police, the liquor licensing were onto us. Surf Coast Shire, they, they were unhappy with how 
they believe that one interpretation of the pub could be run. I had a different interpretation, and then we had the crazy neighbour up the road. It was a, it was a flog. So, um, so yeah, that started, and then we we're into VCAT, which started a, a virtually I think an eighteen month, which had all got heaped in together, which um, became quite quite uh, taxing. But it was in Fuck, a way I didn't, didn't realise all all this had happened. Mm, I became. I, I must have been. I think I was away at this point. You might have. Yeah, you yeah. might have left. Yeah. So it became. So what happened there was, you know, the young fella was at the pub that night and, and he was asked to leave and I'd just gone home and he'd smashed the front door and then there was a bit of a commotion out the front and that and then um, I'd gone to Melbourne for a couple of days. I had to go and do a job up there. So I went back up there and then I got the phone call from the pub and said, Simon, better come down. There's coppers everywhere here and this is not looking good. This kid's disappeared. So I went back down there and, you know, there was a few accusations flying around and things like that. But, yeah, it was just, um, you know, the coroner did the inquest and said, yeah, He's, he's died by misadventure, so which was you know a shame really, but um, but that started so we ended up in VCAT, which then started uh, it's uh, it started a period of like um, we got you know we had we we're getting a bit of bad media, and then there was a lot of you know small town, a lot of rumors going around and things like that, but um, you know. I was lucky I had some great staff and had some great people in the community that rallied around and were really good to us and all that. But that that 18 months, I think I ended up with uh, four barristers, a couple of solicitors. So I was in and out of VCAT and everything like that. And in the end, you know, I was pretty deflated and pretty beaten up that they were, you know, they were coming after me pretty hard because I thought I'd run a, you know, not a bad show there. No, we didn't have any major assaults or anything like that that was, you know, going on in the town that time. So My experience was great. Yeah, well, I think, <laughs> I think, I don't think there was too many bad ones by people in the town. So, um, but that was one of those, and that was another defining moment in my life. If I look back, that was a real defining moment because that last 18 months in the pub, I didn't drink. So I just only drank tea and water. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so I made a conscious decision that if I was going to take this on, and there was a difference between probably losing my house and keeping it, that if I was going to take it on, I had to do it with a clear mind and everything like that. So I started training and I think I lost, because I was pretty big at the time, I think I lost like 35 kilos or something. So I stripped down and got pretty light and got pretty switched and pretty focused. And, uh, you know, I remember um, going to the pub and I got the phone call from the solicitors and the barristers saying you've got to come in. And, and what it was was, there was, you know, not getting too deep in it, but there was a contractual thing that was there. We'd sold the pub and there was a contractual thing. And they were basically saying that, Simon, they're exercising this part of the contract and that means you're going to lose your licence and you're going to not going to have a pub to sell. And I said, well, you know, I remember going down and they said, so you've just got to shut the doors, you're done, Simon. And I remember, you know, I just said, you know, looked at these four barristers and these two solicitors and I said, right, you know, the way I view it is you're either with me or you're against me. Well, there's air in my lungs and my asshole points to the ground. I'll fight this. I don't give a fuck. I'm going in, I'm going through. That's it. So you need to make a decision whether you're in with me or you're out. With, you're out. That's it because it's either way you're with me or against me. So they had a meeting and I remember uh, the guy who wrote the Liquor Licensing Act, Brian Burke, brought me back in, sat me down, and he's, he's a guy of, you know, 50 years' experience or something, sits me down and he goes, son, you know, we're going to go with you, but, you know, let me tell you, son, if you get out of this, you are Houdini and I'll dip my hat to you, you know. And, you know, so... I fought the fight and saw it through to the end and I remember we beat them all, you know, and I remember he took me in a room and sat me down and just said, son, 
99.9% of people, I've been doing this for 40 years, you know, with pubs and everything, and he said 99.9% of people would have given up. And he goes, mate, I dip my hat to you and you are Houdini. You got out of this. And he goes, most people would have given up. He goes, so credit to you, son. Well, there's, you know, you fought it and you stayed right to the end. So good on you. You deserve everything you get. So that triggered that I had to then – they had to honour their contracts, and I was going to keep a I was going to keep a license as long as the pub until it was sold. Provided made every effort to sell it, so and there was a bit of underhand tactics from you know one of the, the owners and things like that, which was a shame from you know the freehold owners and stuff like that. And there was a bit of stuff going on in the background. They'd done deals and everything, and it was about uh-huh. when you're getting stitched. So, but anyway, I walked out, kept my house, got paid out, and that was it. The rest was history. But it was enough to probably cause my marriage to brought brought an end to me marriage and everything like that, which was a shame. And you know, I had uh, by that stage I had five beautiful kids, you know, that I loved dearly and everything like that. So it was a shame, but it pushed me into the next phase of my life, I guess. You know, it knocked me confidence around. Like, yeah, I, I was going to say, was it taxing on you? Like, oh, off, definitely, yeah. yeah. It really knocked me around. You know, it really did because you felt, I felt, you know. Uh, I'd been defeated, but when I looked at it, when I stepped back and looked back at it with time, you know, I realised that I did, I did some, um, you know, I, I actually, you know, what Brian Burke said, you, you, you know, that family trade of never lay down and die, just keep yeah, going. Yeah, like what your grandfather said, yeah. right? He just yeah. stood up. Just keep going. And my old man too, he always said, if you honestly believe in your gut, by principle you're right, just fucking go to the end sign. Who cares? Even if you're on your own, even if no one believes you, whatever, just keep going. Because he goes, history always has a way of proving you're right. And I, I remember I always stuck with that. And that was one of my defining moments. I just said, yeah, fuck it. I'll go, I'm seeing this through to the end. So I saw it through to the end. And that was good. So, yeah. But then it spun me off in a different direction again. Um, and is this where you went into what you've just come through now? Is that the direction? Uh, you know, with, I know with, you, with that, I don't know if you can talk about it, but that building oh no 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 different again no different again no so that ended my marriage and everything like that so i went to uh i went to melbourne so i had to go back to building because i thought oh well i've got to do something and all my network was down in melbourne so i thought i'll just go back to melbourne for a bit and and start life down there and there i was fortunate enough to meet Ange, you know who was just the most how could you say i guess we met at different times of our lives you know and we're just and, you know, like I love my kids and that's a different sort of love, I guess, but with my Ange, it was just like, yeah, I absolutely loved her beyond belief, you know, and I, and I was lucky enough to have that opportunity to just have incredible love in my life, you know, and just absolutely loved her and she loved me and we just had this, in, you know, yeah, I was just, so I was lucky enough to have... Uh, 10 years with Ange, you know, and we are in Melbourne and then we came back here and, you know, I guess uh, I moved back. I think I went to Melbourne for a couple of years and then came back down here. I still saw my kids every week, second weekend or every weekend, you know. I made sure I stayed. But, uh, yeah, that, you know, that's the other side of the fence, which is my ex-wife, and things happened there that, that spiralled out of control and so it was, you know, a real turbulent time but... I was lucky on one hand I had this real stability with Ange and just this beautiful love and, yeah, she was an incredible woman. And, I, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, mental health again, she, um, 
yeah, it was just, and that was another real, I guess it was a crazy time in my life, just another crazy, crazy time. Like that 10 years from sort of 30 to 40 was just, yeah, it was just, didn't know if you're up, down, sideways. It was just constant turmoil from, you know, everything in life. So so was this like with the pub? After the pub, After yeah. the pub. So After the, the pub. pub, so. But that next chapter with Ange, that 10 years. Yeah, it was just a lot of things impacted it, like, you know, uh, work-wise, life-wise, my ex-wife, everything, just a, a lot, lot of, of moving things. parts. Just, yeah, yeah and there yeah. was, you know, yeah, just a lot, a lot of shit going down. And it was just a matter of, once again, of that, you know, keep training, stay focused, stay fit, stay healthy. Just, you know, when the chips are down, you just get up, you keep moving, you keep forging ahead, you keep staying positive, you take the little victories, you take the little things of life that um, keep you going. So it's just a real, um, yeah, really test of my resilience. And, you know... Did you ever, like, so, you know, I don't know, do you, when you go down... Do you go down long? Like for me, it's usually a day. Like I'll have a day of like on the couch where I'm like, fuck, yeah, fuck, and I'll watch a lot of telly and I'll think about things and I won't talk to anyone and then usually it doesn't last longer than a day. Yeah. But you. Uh, I'm a, yeah, I don't know. I can be pretty aggressive in that. So I'm like, fuck this, I'm not taking this, I'll get out and I'll go change the course of it or do something. So I guess I try to assert it. But when I get down, you know, sometimes I can go and I can just – I reflect. So I go away and then you know, I just need a bit of time to myself, you know, and whether it's a day or two days, I just go away. And, In nature? Uh, don't know. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It could be just driving to Melbourne for a couple of hours. Yeah. Just drive to Melbourne. I've got to go and meet or something. I'll just turn the radio off and just run through scenarios and think and all that sort of stuff. So – and probably for the podcast, you know, unfortunately, you know, um, mental health is a horrible thing and a terrible thing. And, you know, the week before Ange died was, you know um, – I had to go to a house because they'd rung me. I was doing a reno on the house and they asked me to go to a house and check on the lady whose house it was and, and it was her, her, well, now her ex-husband's partner in business said, can you go and check we've got this problem? And I said, I'll send the police or send the ambulance and they asked me to go. So I had to go around there, you know, and my relationship at the time with Ange was just like it was, you know, I don't know what was going on. It was just hard times for the two of us, you know, and I went around to this house and found a girl um, in the process of killing herself. So that was pretty bad. And a then, stranger? Yeah, well, I sort of I knew her because I'd been doing work at the house at Reno. Right, yeah. But I had to smash the door to get in there because she'd locked all the doors and they asked me to go around. They said, oh, look, we think she's taking tablets and it could be uh, 15 minutes before the ambulance and the police get there and you're only just around the corner. Can you go around and check? And I went, all right. So I went around there. And he was saying to me, you've got to get in there, you've got to get in there, we don't know what she's doing. So I smashed the door with a, with a sledgehammer and um, cut my hand so I had blood pouring out of my hand and then I went through the house looking, looking for the lady and then uh, I found her upstairs, yeah, and she was in the process of taking her own life. So she went crazy and I, I shit myself. So lucky I left the phone on. For the guy who and I said, you, I was yelling at him, you got to get the police, you got to get an ambulance, you got to get someone around here. So, and she was, you know. So she was going crazy because she wanted to die? Well, she was in the process of doing it and got caught. So, But she, she wanted out. Is I she, think so. She was yeah. upset by that or upset that I don't know. Out? She just lost the plot, get away yeah. from me, and just went mad. And I'm like, holy fuck, this is not a good situation to be in. Yeah. So, and she wanted to run. She was trying to run downstairs and she couldn't get out. So I had to tackle her and. Um, you know, blood all over. It was just like it was a fucking mess. Oh 
So then I had a trapper upstairs and just say, you're not leaving, you know, and then I'm just like, where the fuck is everyone? And then finally they-, they You couldn't sh- script it. Nah. So then finally they turned up and I'm like, holy fuck. So I went down, I went downstairs, but unbeknownst to me, that triggered something that had happened, you know, very early in my life. And then Ange was going through her problems and then, you know, and and- I was just like, by this stage, I'd had a, I'd been stitched up in business like pretty badly, and I was working massive days and just trying to claw back to get ahead again. And uh, so I was working these astronomical days, and I remember like at two thirty, I'd say, right, all the boys go and get some afternoon tea or something. I'm laying down, I'm going to have a twenty minute cat cat nap, and then we'll go to six, seven, eight o'clock. So I was just doing these huge hours to just, you know, so I was physically exhausted and then that happened and then Ange and I were, you know, things were just strange between us and then, um, you know, it was just really tragic what happened and then she, um, yeah, she went down to Tasmania to her family home and took her own life about, I think it was about five days later. So it was just like I just couldn't believe it and that was just like my heart and soul ripped out. That just put me into a really bad, like I, you know, if I thought life was bad, I thought life couldn't get any worse. So that was like the end of a 10-year period. So it just, yeah. And I, and I honestly thought, I, I really thought, I don't know how I'm ever going to recover from this. And we had, a, you know, we had Ivy who was a young girl at that stage. She was six. So, you know, Angie and I had Ivy and it was just, and I just couldn't fucking believe it. It just, yeah, floors me, still floors me to this day. So, yeah, so that, that, I suppose, rolled me into the next phase of my life. So I've had probably four years trying to piece together the what-ifs and the questions and all that sort of stuff and had I've done a lot of work and everything like that and, and I think, you know, there's always going to be those questions there but I think the thing is what I've done is I've found probably enough headspace to be able to, to keep going forward and I'm just in the process now of probably setting up the next phase of my life. So... But, um, yeah, so, you know, that's just a tragic, tragic turn of events. And Ange was just the most incredible, beautiful, you know, loving person. Mm. But, you know, it's it's that do you deal with your problems or do you just denial, hide? I'll just soldier on. I'll just keep it at bay. I'll always keep it there. So, yeah. Oh, man, far out. That's, I'm so sorry. Oh, look, yeah, it's, yeah, thanks, but it's life, you know. That's unfortunate. That's, you know, that's life. It's just um, I'm sure there's people out there ten times more tragic stories than mine, you know, and and they've managed to get on with life and make a go of their life and all that, and that's that's the power of it. That's what you got to do. You just look towards the future and positivity and, and realise, you know, there's people out there worse than you, definitely, you know. But that doesn't detract from the fact that, yeah, it happened to me. But you just find ways to rebuild, regroup, you know, get on with life. Isn't, isn't it weird, like, as we talk right now that you, and you go, you know, you can look out the window and it's sunshine, you can have an enjoyable cup of coffee and a chat, you can have surf, and there's these moments. And no doubt, like, when you go to Western Australia, you have this idea of what it's going to be like on the beach, yep. you know, and then you look in the other direction and you screw down to just how life can be just hell for some people, but it's all between the ears. Yep. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes, like, people are put into situations that's like um, someone else's 
you know, like they're in jail or they're living under a regime or yep. and so it's an outside external thing that's pushing in on them. Yep. But then sometimes it's just their own mind that's pushing in on them. Yep. That's it. And uh, and it's all just out there or it's all just in here. Yeah, well, that's it, yeah. It's how we choose to roll the punches, accept things, evolve, change, look at things, perceive things differently to how we perceived them before, you know, just all those things. So that's the power of... You can laugh and cry in the same minute. Oh, that's exactly right, yeah. That's it, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, you know, the world lost a beautiful person that day and an incredible person, you know. And, you know, it was, and she was close to all the kids and she was an incredible individual, you know. So, you know, and now I look at it and five years on, it's, you know, it's, you know, suicide, you know, really does damage, you know, mm. not just to the individual, but, but to the, you know, the people that are left behind as well, mm. you know. And we lose, what, 7.6 a day or something and 400, they reckon up to anywhere from 250 to 400 attempted a day. You know, so you put those numbers into perspective, that's huge. So you think in a population like us, that's in Australia, you know, 250 to 400 attempted a day. It's wild, isn't it? That's like... And it's not meteorised? Nope. Nope. No. It's not that it's like we get upset because how many people die in a car? Like the law of averages tell you X amount will fucking die in a car, you know. But then when you look at it on a whole of, you know, um, mental health and things like that, like it's just... Yeah, it's fucking... Does it kill more than cancer? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I honestly I don't, don't know. know what the yeah, but it, it is frightening. You know, no one goes... No one doesn't know this story. No, that's it, yeah. And and I think, you know, we look at the awareness that's become about it, but really the 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 thing is we need, we need uh, more facilities to deal with it, you know. And after looking at Ange, you know, and I look at it, you know, I often think... Um, you know, and after Ange died, then I went and looked at it and go, right, you know, because at the time I thought I was probably doing the best I, I was doing, you know, and really, you know, my information, I thought, oh, yeah, well, this is, you know, this is what you do or this is how you do it. And really, you know, I was limited in what I was doing. Like I was, yeah, uh, like since then I've learned a hell of a lot more, you know. Like they say, you know, I've heard that, interview that most people that attempt suicide and live, what it is is they say as soon as they jump, you know, drop, whatever, they all say the same thing is it's a, it's a, it's a, what have I done? So, you know, when you look at it, you think all these people that do do it, it's, it's, they just want everything to stop. And, you know, and I look at Ange and Ange, you know, hadn't slept for a week, two weeks, you know, she was running on this and the brain was just running at a high gear and all that. Yeah. Yeah. You're not thinking you're clear normal. If, no, you're, if no. you're in that heightened state of non-sleep, you know, you're yeah. not yourself. Sleep deprivation, you, you know, fucked and up. then you got stresses on top of that, anxiety, everything like, like, you know, you become fucking delirious. They know if they starve you sleep, what happens, you know? So you imagine your own body's turning against you and starving you of that. So, you know, there's there's all those things, you know, and it's just, um, yeah, it's just really tragic because, you know, we are losing some of the best people out of society, you know, for a period of their time where they, they either can't get the help, they don't want the help or they are incapable of understanding what they need, you know, they take their lives and we lose some incredible people, you know, incredible people, you know, and it's a shame. So it's like, yeah. Something that someone said to me a while ago, it's like you never know 
a stranger in the supermarket, somewhere in the fuel station, you don't know what f- is going on. What are you listening to? I'm just looking for the clock. Oh, you want the time? Three. Oh, that's all right. We've got plenty of time. Um, you never know what someone else is going through. No, that's right. Right? So you don't know the person that's getting walking out the door at the same time as you're walking in, what sort of has been going through their life up until that point and just a smile yep, or a acknowledgement, how you doing? Yep. Uh, before, you know, you just can change someone's, you know, when someone just offers you a little gesture and you're oh, just yeah. like, oh, fuck, thanks, thank yeah. you. It makes a big difference. Yep. So I don't know, I'm looking for some sort of takeaway here. Well, and I'm, I suppose I'm going to throw the question onto you. What, like, what, what is the takeaway? Is it that just be a little bit kinder to yourself and others? Like, it's easy to say because we get so fucking wrapped up oh, yeah. in modern living. Yep. Yep. It's a fucking how long's a piece of string? I don't know. But what do you, you know, you've I th- I th- sailed close to the wind here. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it, it is very much about you know you just <sighs> it's acceptance. I think accepting you know like. Yeah, it's it's those little things. When you see people in the street, I quite often make the point of saying good day to someone, or you know, if I see someone broken down on the side of the road, I'll always pull over and try and help them. Or hey, you're all right? You need a phone? Or what's going on? You know, it is sometimes those little gestures because when you are at the low ebb of life, and I know myself, you know, sometimes what is a small gesture by one person, but when you're on the receiving end of it and you're having a shitty day, or you're having a shitty month, or you're having a shitty year. That one gesture, you can go, my God, you know, that, I'll never forget that. That was a small gesture by them, but it was a massive gesture from what they did for me. That's how it made me feel, you know, and it can have a lasting impact on you. So, yeah, I think it is, you know, just be nice to people, be kind to people, you know, kill them with love, you know, and that's probably the thing, you know, over time I've learned is love's important. You've got to be able to kill them with love. You've got to be able to be nice and you've got to be able to be supportive and understanding and all those things. It's really hard in traffic. Oh, fucking oath. Like, you know, I fuck up all the time. Like, I, 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 one of the biggest things I do suffer is <laughs> lack of patience, you know. So as much as sometimes I'm sitting there, I'll be like, ah, oh, fuck me, you know. I can't deal with this, you know, because I'm just impatient or, you know. But that's, um, yeah, it's just about being nice to people. And, and I think over time, you know, like, you know, I've, I have helped people over the time, over the journey to maybe see life a little bit differently and just offer some words of advice. But it's interesting, uh, after being everything I've been through for the last 30, 40 years, you know, I can now identify it very quickly and look at people and go, hey, how you going? You know, what's happening? You know, where you at? You know, and then you can tell when people are at rock bottom and, they, and they're looking for something or they're looking for a change. You can just tell their personality or how they talk or, or they divulge stuff that you normally wouldn't hear people divulge and you say, you know what, you, you just need a little bit of a hand, you need a little bit of a leg up or a little bit of a point in the right direction and, you know, and sometimes that's just a matter of, yeah, how you going, you know. You know, I'll organise this fair, I'll give you a hand doing that or whatever and you just steer them in the right direction or and you, and you check in in a week later and you say, hey, I'm just checking in, how are you? Where you at? What are you doing? Everything's good, you're getting better. Went and saw the doctor, you know, just, yeah. And I think sometimes that's, sometimes when you're at the lowest ebb, that's all you need. Just, oh, someone out there does, you know, care for me. 
You're an amazing human being. I'll just say that. I wouldn't say that. Well, I can. I will. And I'm just saying that this is from my point of view and I'm entitled to my own point of view. So there you go. Yeah, right. No worries. <laughs> well, there's, there's, so people, like, there's people out here that would argue, argue the difference. Yeah. I've got no fucking doubt. You know, you don't become, you know, who I perceive you are. You know, you're like a modern warrior, right? You, stop it. Uh, let me just say some shit. So... You've been raised in a school of hard knocks and you've walked a walk and that a lot of people haven't, but you have this whole creative side to you, you're super articulate, super intelligent, and you've done all that. It's hard to take that, but you've done, you know, like you just had an ad on telly. Mm-hmm. Some people sent me some photos. <laughs> and look, we've been talking about creative shit for ages and yep. I love that. Yep. You know, there's a depth. There's such a depth. Yep. And there's a depth that lots of people, it's whether they're willing to explore. There's vulnerability, right? Yep. And you're willing to be vulnerable. Yep. Which is rare for someone who's got such a big outside demeanour. Yep. Which makes me think that you do have a, 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 a if you wanted to drill in on it, you have a quite a, career in the arts oh thank you and you've given me a big leg up into it so thank you very much the um the you know you've bought boats sailed around the joint you know there's so much i don't even like know you know we've skimmed along a, a thin line yep and I just, I just love that, you know. I just see like it's, you know, <laughs> getting visuals of a big, colourful bird sitting opposite <laughs> me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I guess, you know, I'm not on acid. No. 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 <laughs> I guess one of the big things is when I was younger, I always said I'm going to live five lives in one and, and that is about, you know, you don't just pick one path, you can pick several paths. And I look at life as a big shiny ball. So, you know, we, as, as life progresses, you know, we might only have a little patch on the ball and we might have a little bit, but we keep, we keep covering that. It's like a, you know, a jigsaw puzzle that's round. You just keep putting pieces into it. And, and that is, you know, about saying, I wouldn't mind trying that and just going, right, well, how do I do that? What do I do? You know, and that's that constant moving forward, constant challenging yourself, constant, you know, looking at things differently, evolving, testing new things, you know. I, you know, I just, I think, you know, we become hamstrung on the money when really it's about experiences in life, you know. The more experience you can get into your life, the more things you can do, um, the more things you're prepared to try, the, I think... You become more rounded, more, how could you say, more, yeah, more rounded. You become more appreciative of people, of things, of places, of, you know, the simple things in life, you know, right down to the big things in life, you know. You just become more appreciative, I guess, you know. And, but I love that. So the other day, like, because I love this, I love doing shit that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right? Why would you do that? There's no um, financial outcome in what you're doing there. Yeah, yeah but yeah. fucking whatever. I'm just doing it because I'd like to have an experience, right? Yeah. And so the other day I loved that just randomly I call you and you've driven back from Darwin yeah. to pick up a car that wasn't worth the flight nah. or something. It had been sitting in the street for two years. <laughs> Bruiser parked it up. We went up there for the boat and we had a car up there and I said, hey, just park it up. And we got back late and we, I was at the pub having a beer with and, and Ivy was with me as well, and, and I rang him, and he's like, oh, I've bumped into this person. Anyway, the car's parked down the road. Let's go get on a plane. And anyway, so we jumped on a plane late that night, and, and the car's been sitting there for yeah, nearly two years, just in the street, and, and the cancel 
we're going to tow it. And they rang me and said, are you going to come get your car? And I'm like, oh, you know, fucking better. So, and it's, you know, it's, it's what is it? A, so where was it? In Darwin, just down there the main street, just down the road a bit. I'd just been sitting there. So I got there and I'm like, yeah, I better go and get it. It's only like, what is it? A 2002 four-wheel drive diesel four courier. So I just said, yeah, yeah, I'll go there. So, yeah. Is that the one in the driveway? No, no, that's oh. that's a different one. Uh, so I, I went up with my daughter. And it was a good bit, bit of hang time with my oldest, who's 20, going on 27, Harley. So, yeah, just a bit of hang time with her was good. So we just sat in the car and had some good discussions and some robust discussions and drove back, yeah. Just drove through the Red Centre, watched the sun come up and go down a few times and just had oohed and at it and everything like that. Yeah. There was no rhyme nor reason to it. I know that, like, the amount of people that said, what are you going to get a car for? Just fucking get rid of it. It's unregistered, just leave it there. <laughs> so anyway, but I said, no, no, I'll go and get it. And just, yeah, because I wanted to drive the Red Centre. I just wanted to see what it was like. Yeah. And I've seen it and it's fucking amazing. Was that your first time through it? Yeah, never, yeah, never, never. I've been down as far as Catherine because then you turn off to go up to East Arnhem Land, but, yeah, and then I just, yeah, I just drove back, smashed it in three days like I was on the run, but, yeah, it was uh, it was good, though, but I'll go back. Yeah, but you're right, yeah, there is, there's there's method in the madness of sometimes just doing things for no apparent reason, you know, and I enjoy that, you know, yeah. You know, there doesn't have to be, like, and like you said, there doesn't have to be a point or a reason to anything you do. Sometimes it is just about enjoying the experience and doing something that's, yeah, different. So it's, you're going to Western Australia soon? I am, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm lucky, yeah, I'm going over there. I'm, I'm going up to, I've got, because... Where East Arnhem Land is, I've got a heap of shit sitting out there with the, with the boat and stuff. So, so by the fact, a heap of shit sitting out in East Arnhem Land. What have you got sitting out there? Oh, well, I've got me tinny. <laughs> a couple got, of 44s? What, what is uh, the couple of... No, I've got, I've got me tinny sitting up there with, with a motor that's sitting there. But the well, poor where? old... Oh, at East Arnhem Land at a cove. At, uh, what's it called? Nullum Boy. Nullum Boy. So it's up there because that's where the boat was. And unfortunately, through COVID, we had this this old steel clunker we're going to take over to Coupang, but that's uh, I got electrolysis through COVID. Can so, you just explain what electrolysis is? Because I didn't fucking know. Uh, it's when the when a, a wire from the battery is touching the hull. So it turn, effectively turns the whole boat into a battery. So the acid eats through the, the steel, the salt and everything eats through the steel, and then you just, it just corrodes the whole hull. So from inside, outside, and, and everything just turns to shit. So anyway, so unfortunately I had to get scuttled. Electrolysis. Yeah. I don't remember that. So we had to strip. Uh, so actually, mate up there, he was good enough to strip everything off the boat, and he stacked it all for us. So, yeah, he stacked it all for us, but I'm devoured because that boat was meant to be over in Coupang, and there was a guy that was meant to fix the electrolysis when I first discovered it early days, and he never done it. So anyway, but that's, that's life in the big smoke. So we... Um, so yeah. you're going back to get the shit that he stri- stripped off it? Is that where you're going? Well, I'm working it out because I want to put it on build, I want to build. Nah, because to get it in and out of there, like this is an 800k dirt track to get in there, which is like, uh, it's it's oh fuck, it's just out of control. The potholes and everything. What do you sit on? 60, 70, uh, 80? What? You, yeah, you, max max 80 in the best, and the average probably 60, 65. Yeah. So yeah, and you, you just about lose every filling and every tooth <laughs> out of your skull because you're fucking bouncing, like it's just, yeah, it's it's mad. So yeah, so I'm going over there. I'm going to grab my tinny and that, and then I'm going over to Exmouth. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to shoot over to there and go and camp at a place over in Western Australia and hopefully get a few waves and, uh, yeah, just hang out. It'd be 
be a nice time. Now, do you have a time frame on that? I, I'm taking off eight weeks, so I leave the first of June, yeah. back at the end of July. So just taking eight weeks to get out of the get out of the weather here, out of the coldness, and go and see what it's about. And, and I'm thinking this. You asked me about the shit that's up in Nullumboy. I want to go and see what's there for starters because I might actually try and get it back here because I might use it. Um, so I'm toying with the idea of building a catamaran. I've been looking at these catamarans, these Warren catamarans, which are, um, yeah, they're really robust. Good Can little. you sleep in with them? Yeah, yeah, these are good. Like These are real good. They're, they're, they're based off of uh, the Polynesian style. Catamaran, but they you can make them yourself. They're designed that people can make them at home themselves. So. Fuck off! You gonna make one? Yeah, I am. I'm thinking, seriously thinking about it. So and go international on a homemade cat. Yeah, yeah you you're a fucking it. mad dog. Nah, well, I've got to get there first. I've got to get there first and get it built. So, but that's that's sort of yeah the next phase of my life. I'm hoping. So yeah, I'm just sort of looking at it. What can I do? I'm I'm spewing because the other boat shit itself. So, but if I could, uh, yeah, I just thought, oh, you know, and then I can. Yeah, nick off and see the winters away from here and come back and work hard and just go chipping away at life. So it's one of those things. Yeah, but anyway, it's good, good fun. I, you know, I don't know how to sail too well. I ended up doing some lessons down here at the yacht club on the little catamarans. So I figure, yeah, yeah, I can figure out which way the wind blows. So where you put, you put the, the sails and everything, and that's about it. So I imagine if you put it onto a bigger version, that's probably the same sort of theory. Yeah, I get it, but like. International waters and fucking yeah pirates and oh no no I'm not jo- I'm joking about pirates but they are around but yeah I just mean you could probably get a captain and just say you know time here there and everywhere yeah and but probably like that's changed a bit. Yeah, I know, but I worry about you. Done it. You sailed this thing around cozy corner a little bit. You're yeah. gonna bang across. Well, I think Scano told me he said his his mum and dad didn't know how to sail when they sailed out. Is that right? Yeah, he said they they had limited experience, and they said you just learn on the boat. You just learn very quick. So that's my attitude. That's that's the way I learn things is just get in. Yeah, the, yeah, get yeah. In the, get in the trenches, have a crack, and see what happens. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah. It's uh, you'll have to come and join me on the boat and and drop in. Yeah, once you're across some of the big chunks of water, I'll do that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I sort of look at it that yeah, modern technology now, you know when storms are coming, you know, they tell you everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can fucking find anything. You can still get Texas on the boat with the you know, satellite phones and all that shit. So yeah. I'm sure, you know, if you're getting a bit of bit of deep shit, you just gotta have plan B ready and <laughs> <laughs> and just activate it and hope for the best. So but anyway, that's that's life and yeah, it's fun, it's good, it is. Yeah, and the acting thing, I, um, you know, I'm enjoying that. That's that's something different and something tried different, but different. I love that you're throwing your hat in the ring. Yeah, well, time will tell whether I'm any good at it or whether well, whether think, it's for me or not. So, look, there's a sensitivity to you, and you can listen. That's just so important. And you've got the uh, exterior of a fucking real Australian man that not that not many Aussie actors have. So I think that you're super employable. Yeah, well, I hope so. Yeah, and I thank you for all your help and encouragement and everything <laughs> like that. It's been much appreciated when I'm ringing, what the fuck's this mean? Where do I go here? What's that do? Should I be doing that? No, I shouldn't be doing that. Okay, no
Oh, the agent sent me on one. All I did was turn a light switch off, and I think I put in half a page of monologue yeah. in there. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Keep it simple. Oh, yeah, yeah. Am I meant to be doing that? Uh, uh, thanks, Tiggy. No worries. All right, I'll put that down to experience. Hang up. So, yeah, no, a bit of fun. It's all funny. It's, uh, yeah. But that's it. Like, like, I look at me old man, you know, he's sitting in hospital now, you know, and, and that's that ball. You just want to put a patch on every part of it so you can say, oh, I've done this, been there, experienced that, you know. And I look at it and I probably, you know, because I've had so many kids, I, I haven't, you know, there's a lot I haven't experienced, but there's a lot I have experienced compared to other people. So, you know, um, I'm getting to that age where I can probably go and do the other stuff now where I don't have the... You know, the kids are all older and moving on with their lives and doing their own thing. So, yeah, it's about, right, What's what suits me and where do I go from here? Probably losing 15 kilos will be a good start. <laughs> I think that'll come with desert life. Oh, I reckon it will too, yeah. I'm hoping so. I'll be starving myself, living on fish, fish diet with a bit of luck. See how I go. I might... Uh, well, we might have to get you back in when you're back from that adventure. I feel like I've got a million more questions for you. No, that's all right. Yeah, sorry. I can bang on a bit. No, no, don't pause it. And- no, yeah. uh, it's all all good. And I, I'm just going to finish up by saying thank you for being so honest. No, no, that's all right. Yeah. No, well, honesty is, you know, once again, you know, that's that, that upbringing, you know, when I was put in with good values from my father, you know, he used to say to me, you know, just be honest on him. Because he goes, if you're a fucking liar, you've got to have a real good memory. Yeah. <laughs> and he said it and it's your credibility. When you're caught out lying, no one will trust you ever again. So, yeah, it's better to be honest and upfront and down the line and that's it. Like, there's no point sugarcoating things, you know. You're just better off being upfront honest. And if you're fucked up, you're fucked up. You own it you get on with life. I was reading a good – I heard someone today. Oh, Mickey Lauder. Did he get uh, – he was the one who was burnt in the car. His ears are all crispy. <laughs> Mickey Lauder was he like Bathurst no 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 Formula 1 oh Formula 1 I think right. he just got a big international award and he said I learnt more out of losing than I did out of winning oh yeah you hear it often yeah, yeah from those so it was guys. just it was an interesting yeah. take on, on life you know he was just saying I thought that's great and he acknowledged he goes this is for all the losers this is for everyone that's lost and, and it's so true you know through that honesty you know you own it it's yours it's you know and that's how I look at my life you know you know, I've had some interesting comments said to me from counsellors and, and psychs and stuff and, and, like, the big thing is I say I don't know any different. It's my life. I own it and, and you know, it's built me to who I am today and I'm happy in who I am and I'm happy with what I am and enjoy my who I am. Yeah, well, I love drinking coffees with you. Yeah, it's good. I like it. You make a good coffee too. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Hey. Cheers, appreciate it. Sorry, I kept banging on them, but anyway, appreciate it, Johnny. Fine, You're a good man, you. you're a legend. Thank you, bro. Thanks, mate. Well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Simon Flannery. Flanno, thank you so much for coming around and um, and sharing uh, all that with me and everybody else who listens. So if you're out there listening, thank you so much for listening. Flano, thank you so much for being open and honest and vulnerable. It's, um, brave work. Uh, and um, good luck on your trip to the WA, man. I, um, I'd love to say I'll see you there, but um, we will see. And um, for everybody else out there, I hope the, well, it's winter time, the sun might not be shining. But uh, I was walking the other day and I was walking in the rain with a dog and uh, this lady I bumped into along the way and she said, you know, you say hi, hi. And I was like, hi. And, you know, and, and, she, and, 
And I was like, nice day for it, you know, a bit sarcastically. And she was like, I love this. I love the rain. <laughs> and I was like, what? I hate it. And she's like, no, you got to embrace it. You got to embrace it. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm getting wet shoes, wet jacket, wet beanie. And, but then I was like, well, there's no point sooking about it. Uh, and I wasn't sooking, but it was just definitely like not an enjoyable walk in the rain. Um, and I never enjoyed that. But then it definitely gave me a shift. I saw her later in the walk and she's like, you cheered up yet? And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, so anyway, if you're in the sun, I hope you're enjoying it. If you're in the rain, I hope you're enjoying it. And if you're just sometimes having a shit one, just feel it out. Don't push the feelings away because I think that's when the trouble starts. You just got to feel your way through shit. If you feel sad, feel sad, it'll pass. If you're feeling good, feel fucking good. All right, I'll stop crapping on. I'll let you get back to your life. Till next time, adios. Adios.